if you're just a payment company, it gets commoditized. So it does make a lot of sense for these players to offer more and more functionality. If they're acquiring, you know, the cradle to grave approach, they acquire young consumers and then become a bank and then offer checking accounts, credit cards, affiliate shopping networks. So I think everyone is aspiring to rush to diversify themselves, but it's also very similar diversification. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed watching the buy now, pay later space. It's been interesting to see so many different players come to market with so many different value props and see how companies like Klarna and Afterpay are going into stores, embracing live shopping partnerships, and doing some really compelling marketing campaigns. But there are so many other players in the mix as well, and that's creating a very rich ecosystem for retailers to consider. If you're having trouble navigating or even figuring out where to start in this buy now, pay later ecosystem, this conversation is a great place to start. I sat down with Adam Modsley, who is CRO of Split It, and he actually has a pretty rich history working for a series of other payment providers, including BNPL players. So he has his deep expertise and his analysis of the space. We discussed some consumer insights and trends that are driving the market and where he thinks it's headed. Listen in. Adam, it is so great to meet you. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you. Nice to be here. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show today because everyone has been buzzing about buy now, pay later. But as a few industry experts have pointed out, it's not necessarily a new concept. So I want to get into some of the trends, the players, what you're seeing in the market. But let's just start with the why. Why, despite this not being a new thing in retail, why is buy now, pay later so hot right now? Yeah, good question. It's definitely hot. And I like to kind of say it's actually a little bit like the Wild West almost with buy now, pay later. It seems so many different players. I think, like you said, it's not necessarily a new concept, but there's lots of money, whether it's venture capital and acquisitions and big checks for retailers flying around. So I think money talks, let's be honest. So people are writing multi-million dollar checks and and then taking lots of venture capital money and becoming unicorns, et cetera, et cetera. There is a lot of you know, real interest in the space. But you're right back to the, the not necessarily a new concept. A lot of people I know have called it like a new form of layaway. And it is really still credit. It's just a new form factor. So I, I think a couple of reasons why it's hot. Credit cards, for right or wrong, have been around for many a years. And some of the big banks and players have maybe been a little bit old school and not exactly fast with innovation. So buy now, pay later has kind of forced a step change in some of the banks and the payment schemes and um, offered a new form of credit that really focuses on consumer choice. And it is still a line of credit in many cases, but it just is a different form factor that offers a new way of getting credit delivered from the old school, go to a bank, fill in a form, very staid kind of old school approach. So I like to think it's a new version of credit that's kind of had a new skin and consumer choice and affordability is is something in the 
consumer-centric society at the moment, there's so many choices. So buy now, pay later, indexing on choice and affordability has really resonated with um, you know consumers in the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing a big marketing push or marketing play around that ability to have control over your purchases, right? No matter whether it's, you know, something small and maybe not as high price or a luxury item, you can buy it now and kind of stage it out, which I know resonates with a lot of consumers. But I do want to go back to your point about funding. Obviously, when something gets a lot of funding, you know, that builds the buzz, it gets media attention, Retail executives pay attention to it. They get in on the fun and build these partnerships, kind of like a cycle, right? We've seen it with a lot of different things, not necessarily just these BNPL players. But it leads me to this question that I'm sure a lot of different companies have because the space is expanding so quickly, so many different players, so many different companies, so many different apps. We'll get into maybe some of the differences and how to navigate in a little bit, but how would you kind of break down or, or categorize this space? Like, are there kind of subcategories within BNPL? I feel like there could be a way to make navigating these players a bit easier for folks. Yeah, definitely. I think one of the issues is everyone tends to claim they can do everything, which makes it really interesting because if, if everyone says they do everything and everyone's different, then no one's different. So I kind of tend to categorize it, break it down into a few different areas. So Paying for is probably the very popular one that most people know. So that's predominantly a, I guess, a fast fashion or a youth target market and lower average order value. So when I say paying for, that would be the Afterpay, the Klarna, the QuadPay, the Sezzle, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many different providers out there, but they're predominantly focused on addressing a fast fashion kind of $100 average order value. And good in the youth market. So, for example, you know, Gen Zs and millennials, where they might not have credit cards because they're just getting out of college, for example, they can use their debit card to break purchase into eight weeks. So that's the first categorization of the, of the paying for. Interesting thing with these paying for companies is many of them don't actually call themselves a payment provider or a payment company. So Afterpay and, and Klarna and others, they say, hey, they're a marketing company. They're all about helping acquire customers and sending leads and things like that. So very interesting, helps with affordability, but a real real focus on acquiring the customer and building out a consumer network. So that's the first one, the paying for. The second one, I'd say, is more of a traditional financing. So it might used to have been the, the private label credit card, but then that's evolved. So you know, it's not just the synchronies or the citizens bank, but then, of course, a firm, an ally. There's all these other companies that are you know, taking the existing financing and adding a little bit of a newer spin. So um, it is still a line of credit. So you apply for a line of credit and they approve you and then they usually charge an annual percentage rates and you have to apply and enter your address and social security number. So they're kind of the two main areas that I think are really fast and evolving. And then there's a kind of a new area where people are um, seeing the adoption of this and actually evolving. So for example, like I work for Split It, we are buy now, pay later, but we just let people use the credit card they already have and break that into installments. So that's you know, kind of the new new area is the third bucket of, of taking the existing technology and offering that functionality. So similar with the American Express Planet or um, different 
Visa and MasterCard also launching their own buy now, pay later products, as well as a lot of the banks going after that. So just to recap three areas, I, I see it paying for traditional financing and then a, a kind of a, an evolution of a new market where it's you know using the credit you have or existing technology adapting to kind of meet the new areas that the other two emerging players have kind of brought into focus for, for the market. Super helpful. And I'm sure that'll help a lot of folks at, at least start their assessment of all of the different players. But once they get that high level lay of the land, are there any other tips or recommendations to kind of help retailers navigate the players within those categories and determine which partner or even partners could be right for them, right? Like, is it possible for them to kind of go across these different categories and partner with one to two folks within those categories? Like, I'm just trying to think of it from the perspective of like the executive leaders that are making these decisions. Yeah. From a retailer perspective, I usually try and ask people, what what problem are you solving for? Because there is a a gluttony of choice. And I've heard people call about, talk about the NASCAR of logos or a button palooza, where if you've got like 20 different buttons of different options, there's a law of diminishing returns. So first question I like to say is, what are you actually trying to solve for? If everyone claims they're different and everyone can help every customer, well, you need to dig in a little bit and understand what customer problem you're solving for. So what I mean by that is, are you trying to drive average order value? Are you after a different demographic, like a youth market or a more prime, subprime, older demographic? Are you after new customers? and a marketing partner, or are you after driving conversion of higher average order value sales so you're getting more bang for the buck out of your existing customers? So that's the first thing I think. It's bright and shiny. There's a lot of aggressive checks flying around and incentives going out there. But if a retailer has a clear path on what they want to sell for, everyone wants to sell more. And buy now, pay later can help average order value conversion sales. But there is nuances within that. So are you after a youth market? Are you after an older, more prime demographic? Are you after conversion? Are you after international expansion? So there's lots of different things. But I think if you come to these conversations with a clear ask internally of your main problem you're trying to solve for, you'd be in good step to kind of ask the providers that you're looking at how they can actually help you versus just walking in the door and saying, hey, what can you do? Because as again, busy market, everyone out there says we can do everything. And when everyone does everything, it's kind of hard to differentiate, to be brutally honest. Yeah, 100%. And I really like that you ladder it all back to goals and objectives, because it does seem like there are a good number of players that are trying to own specific components or possible benefits of buy now, pay later, and are, are structuring their product and experience around those. But to that end, I mean, where and how does Split It kind of play in this world? And, and what does your company do to kind of differentiate itself or what makes the company unique in terms of its offerings for retailers? Yeah, sure. So just like everyone else claims, we're also different. Um, no, but seriously, the the difference with us in the past, I was working at Klarna and Braintree and PayPal. So I've got a few gray hairs in the space. And what actually attracted me to join Split It was we are focused on not issuing new debt, not creating debt to have people buy fast fashion, you know, new credit lines that maybe they buying things they can't afford or, or shouldn't really be buying. Difference with Split It is we do not issue new credit. We let people use the credit cards they already have and break purchases into installments. So I kind of looked at that and thought, actually, that's very responsible. 
you know, whether it's the CFPB inquiries, you know, buy now, pay later for right or wrong. Some people have an idea that it's almost like a payday loan mentality of people are getting as many consumers as possible, maybe at the risk of bad debt. So split it is really unique. Of We never issue any credit lines. We tend to focus on a higher average order value. So our, our platform average order value is $1,000. That being said, we can do a $10 transaction. We can do a $100,000 transaction. But I like to say you know, some of the paying for players do really well. For the $50, item, I kind of look at split it helping in a more considered purchase. And I like to say, shouldn't the $1,000 item deserve just as much love as the $100 item? So we help retailers sell more, offer installments on credit card. So because we use the credit card rails, they don't have to apply and create an account. So we're not acquiring the customers. Also, another unique thing I think is the market matures. Some clients I've talked to have a concern that the buy now, pay later companies are acquiring your customers and then selling them to the highest bidder. So um, the unique thing about Splitted is we're just a technology layer. We plug into the retailers. We can even white label our solutions. We're not acquiring your customers. We're just in a counter to some industry conversations. We say the credit card's not dead. There's a billion plus credit cards in the US, you know, a huge amount of un- unutilized credit card open to buy limits that people can spend in a smarter manner. So that's where we're focused on, which is slightly different from some of the other players. And the other thing that, because we're using the credit card rails, we can be a, a really unique partner that can go to virtually any country because existing credit rails, we don't need consumer licensing laws because we're using the existing credit rails that the issuing banks have done a good job of understanding their customers and underwriting their customers for many, many a decades. Interested in learning directly from innovative omnichannel brands, disruptive DTC players, boundary-breaking tech leaders, and more? You can at the 2022 Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, taking place in Chicago from May 10 to 12. Whether you're looking to strengthen your omnichannel strategy, accelerate your e-commerce experiences, or get inspired by new design trends, we have something for all members of the modern retail business. Join executives from Coach, Foot Locker, Brooklinen, Elf Beauty, and more for one of the industry's most anticipated events in retail innovation. Podcast listeners get 50% off on all passes using the promo code RICE50P07. Take advantage of these incredible savings by going to retailinnovationconference.com and using the promo code RICE50P07. Obviously, with your role, I'm sure a big focal point is implementing your long-term growth map, your long-term strategy for expansion. So, I mean, where are your priorities at now in terms of growth within retail? Are there any new learnings or findings from just like studying how quickly this market is evolving and growing? Are there any new indicators or trends that are influencing your priorities for, I guess, not just 2022, but even 2023? Yeah, so I think a couple of things there. Obviously, the re-emergence of retail, touch wood, fingers crossed, with um, COVID. Hopefully, we're at the end of this and people are, physical retail is not going away. People are really keen to have that physical experience. So, yeah, we're seeing the emergence of, of retailers really focusing on how they re-emerge and revitalize the retail footprint. The other thing that I think is really interesting, a couple of years ago when COVID first started, I would have been thinking that like jewelry and high-end luxury and and really higher average order value segments wouldn't have been a good fit for online. But we see $100,000 jewelry items all the time, you know, high-end jewelry items that maybe no one would have considered. 
So the emergence of jewelry, luxury, really high-end solutions, even B2B solutions actually taken up by now pay later because you used to think that it wouldn't be a good fit, but COVID kind of put a reset on expectations there. So emergence of new segments that maybe weren't ideally suited to online is definitely a new trend that we're um, tracking. So we've seen huge growth, like I already mentioned, in jewelry and luxury and diamond marketplaces. Services is another trend. There was a retail fashion focus for buy now, pay later. But as it becomes more than a fad, there is a huge growth in you know, whether it's medical co-payments, cosmetic services, fixing your HVAC, all of these platform plays. Buy now, pay later is diversifying to offer a better solution and affordability to many consumers. And it's just moving outside of the retail world as well. So we're tracking that trend and definitely looking at some of these non-retail I guess, partnerships and helping grow there. And the other thing I think we're looking at is a lot of these companies have the huge consumer networks and do really well. But if you go to talk to a Fortune 500 company that has a huge brand, they own their customers and everyone knows their brand. So we actually say, well, hey, let's give you the technology. It's your customer. We don't want to acquire your customer. So I think there's a maturation And a trend that people are really looking at long-term ROI with buy now, pay later. Because yes, you can sell more, but if they're acquiring your customers and then going to sell them to your competitors, well, what cost does that have in the long term? So I think tying back to maybe an old school terminology, but the customer lifetime value, if it's your customer and you're selling your customer to someone else, there is really a maturation of the industry where people are starting to assess whether the real ROI of a quick $20 sale is is worth selling your customer to someone else. So I think the evolution of you know, how people actually assess the Wild West kind of mentality of the ground rush, but what actually happens longer term when you've sold your customer is, is that the right thing to do is some trends that I've, I've seen starting to emerge and we'll be interested to see how that plays out over the next year or two. Yeah, definitely some great points. I think that expansion of categories is a really interesting one. I actually used buy now, pay later for a home repair. Like I had to get my fence fixed and I was able to integrate it right into the payment experience. It was very easy. I don't have to worry about fumbling with my credit card. So it'll be interesting to see like how that expands outward and like the size of the company as well, right? It seems like it is trickling down even into, you know, smaller businesses. And the more it becomes readily available, the more people use it, which I guess leads me to my next question around just like the longer term implications of buy now, pay later, or like your thoughts on where this is going and the role that buy now, pay later will play in the overall payment experience mix, right? Because I mean, obviously everyone's talking about it, but if you look at it in context of like traditional credit, that's still largely the most widely used and adopted. So, I mean, do you think that there's going to be a shakeout? Do you think if it does change, like it's not going to be anytime soon? I mean, where do you think this is going? Definitely, there is an evolution. Credit card, it's an interesting market. A lot of players are out there saying the credit card is dead, but then they turn around and launch credit cards themselves. So I don't see buy now, pay later as not credit. It's just a new form of credit. It's taking an existing concept, whether it's layaway or private label credit cards or financing loan, and making the form factor and the usability even easier. And of course, it's great that it's democratized it because the Amazons or the private label cards that you know, the Fortune 500 retailers could offer, 
wasn't something that the small mom car shop could offer. So great that the democratization of credit in whatever form factor has been enabled for the masses and for the small businesses so they can potentially compete with the the store brand cards and the aggressive financing that large retailers offer. So I, I think that's a huge positive. But that being said, with Buy Now Pay Later being so bright and shiny and, and hot at the moment, existing players are all rushing to kind of make sure that they're not disintermediated and launching their own solutions. So I think I already mentioned whether it's Visa or MasterCard, Amex, there is a lot of old traditional players launching into the space as well to kind of you know change the form factor because you go into a retailer and apply for a private label credit card. Well, that is only a certain customer who will do that nowadays. The choice that everyone has, and maybe I'm the wrong demographic, but I've not applied for a store credit card. I like my credit card that I have, and I'm, I'm a points junkie, and I get my points of choice. So you know, making sure people can use the credit they have in a different manner is, is going to consolidate. So I, I also think the changes you mentioned, consolidation, there probably will be more and more consolidation. I think even two weeks ago, was a, a Zip, which had already acquired QuadPay, just also merged or bought Sezzle as well. So lots more consolidation, as well as entrance into the new space of the old players. But I also think the other thing is there's going to be increased regulation. So the CFPB has already announced they're looking intensely at credit. So I think there's more of an awareness of the high average, the high annual percentage rates and the consumerism at all costs. You know, are people getting people who shouldn't be getting lines of credit into unsustainable debt. And I'm not saying they are, but there is just with regulators starting to look at this as, as credit just in a new form factor. There's you know talks about you know, buy now, pay later needs to actually be reporting to the, the credit bureaus. So I think there's a maturation of the industry. And with that, it's going to cause even more consolidation and continued evolution. I already talked about the kind of three different vertical, three different types of buy now, pay later more services-based buy now, pay later, B2B buy now, pay later. So I think there's going to be consolidation, but also continued expansion and a few new players will still pop up more than likely. I'm so glad this topic of where the market is headed and consolidation, where that's going to be happening, where it's already happening, because I, I was going to ask you, like anytime there's like a very hyped category or component of the tech stack, it seems like it kind of branches into two different worlds. It's like that rapid expansion, like there are so many different players, it's hard to choose, everyone's trying to be the latest and greatest or most innovative, but then it eventually leads into that consolidation, like you were saying. So it'll be interesting to see like who acquires whom and how that leads to evolution in the business models and how companies are going to, how these BNPL players specifically are going to be trying to own the customer experience or whether they're just going to try and maintain being that, you know, technology layer like we were discussing earlier. To that end, before we close things up, I do want to make sure I, I ask you about those more, I guess, rope. I don't want to say robust players, but the ones that are trying to be an acquisition vehicle for customers. So like the Klarna's, the Afterpays, the ones that kind of have their app experience and they're trying to make that app a destination. In a way, they almost become like a retailer in, in that capacity, right? And they're really trying to build up these partnerships with brands and retailers. They're doing, you know, pop-ups. They're doing live shopping events. They're doing like AR activations. Like 
really cool, innovative stuff, very exciting stuff. But I would love your take on it because you're obviously in this space. You're living and breathing it every day. Do you think there is like a clear future for the companies that are kind of integrating payment into experience and marketing and live shopping? Is that going to become its own like super app or ecosystem that maybe will stand separate from like the buy now, pay later players? I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm wondering if it's like breaking off into like its own little world in a way. Yeah, um, I do think this conversation we're talking about buy now, pay later, but when I was at Klarna, you know, an afterpay, um, Australian tech world, a pretty small industry, um, they've done amazingly well. And afterpay from day one said, we're not a payments company, we're a marketing company. And Klarna with the super app or Neobank, they've got banking charter license in Europe and they're launching credit cards and doing all sorts of things there. So I think the evolution, if you're just a payment company, it gets commoditized. So it does make a lot of sense for these players to offer more and more functionality. If they're acquiring you know, the cradle to grave approach, they acquire young consumers and then become a bank and then offer checking accounts, credit cards, affiliate shopping networks. So I think everyone is aspiring to rush to diversify themselves, but it's also very similar diversification. Yeah, so it's an interesting space. I think they're you know, really good and very successful. And I've used many of the different types of buy now, pay later. So I think it will continue to evolve. Again, it's also something to watch because you know, when you become so successful, Afterpay's done an amazing job in Australia. You talk to some Australian retailers and they see about 40% share of checkout with Afterpay. And then it's an interesting dichotomy there because all of a sudden you're maybe not buy now, pay later. You're just another tender type and you're more associated like an Amex. You're costing more. And if everyone just uses Afterpay for every transaction, are you really driving incremental value or are you just becoming another tender type? So that being said, there's nothing wrong with becoming a tender type and becoming like an Amex, but there is really. When you're so successful, it needs to be an evolution of how these companies act because otherwise you end up just becoming seen as like another big bank or another payment credit card and nothing wrong with them. But the foundation of these companies have been challenges and saying we're different from these. So as they evolve to then launch their own credit cards, it's an interesting space to kind of watch a slight disconnect of what they originally started out of and then they're becoming what they try to rally against, which is a great problem and interesting space because, so yeah, the super apps of the world, I'm waiting with bated breath and I use some of the functionality in, in a lot of them because it's really interesting. I also think apart from the, the super apps in, in China, the rest of the world hasn't necessarily seen really a winner in the super apps. There's lots of people trying and at least to me, from what I've experienced, no one's really hit a home run with the super app functionality yet. So I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to wait and see and probably like yourself, wait and watch the innovation and, and it's lots of choice. Yeah, We're going to get lots of lots of bright and shiny little new things to test, which is, is all going to be great for consumers. Yeah, for sure. No shortage of options, like, like you've said a few times over the course of this conversation, but it's definitely interesting to see the identity evolution of these brands, right? And how they're trying to stand out. 
Maybe that'll change, like you said, and with, you know, some of the regulatory implications or investigations, you know, if there are going to be any notable outcomes or next steps outlined for some of the key players in this space. But definitely a to-be-continued conversation. And Adam, hopefully we can have you back on the show to kind of dig into some new developments. But for now, I try to close these conversations out with a few tactical takeaways, lessons, even predictions. You know, like I said, retail executives are listening to this show to get some tangible insights that they can apply to their business. And this is such an exciting space. So do you have any closing thoughts, takeaways that you want to make sure our audience takes away as they try to assess and embrace this era of buy now, pay later? Yeah, I I think the, the jury's out, so to speak. It's no longer a fad, especially with retail closing down for a couple of years with COVID. The online functionality and expectations. So buy now, pay later is here to stay. Like I said, it's it's a different form of credit, just you know, delivered in a slightly different manner. So probably if I don't think anyone is thinking it's a fad still, but if there are people still thinking that it's a fad, you just have to look at you know, $30 billion acquisition of Afterpay, Affirm, all of these companies, you know, Klarna, the huge numbers and the huge success that they're seeing. So definitely not a fad. My tip still back to the retailers is try and make sure you come in with an idea. Like, you know, hey, I'm told I need to add a new button because my boss told me, well, that's probably not the best idea. What are you trying to solve for? Test fast. I've tried to roll out both online and in-store for buy now, pay later. There's still a real huge tangible difference between the two. So something that works online doesn't necessarily map as easily to in-store as as people would hope it does at the moment. So I would say, apart from knowing what you're trying to solve for, be willing to adapt and test. And and if you're testing, have some clear goals because otherwise the button palooza of 12 different options on your website or in-store is not really going to be successful. So pick your battles and um, have clear goals when you're walking into these conversations of what you're trying to achieve. Love it. A lot of great takeaways there, Adam. Thank you again so much for taking the time out to chat with me. I feel like there are so many different layers and angles to this topic, and we definitely hit on a lot today. So thank you again so much for taking the time out to chat with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for the talk. And to all of you listening, if you have any follow-up questions for Adam or you just want to chat about the BNPL space, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints. We are constantly keeping tabs on the ever-evolving payment space and how consumers are encouraging retailers to level up that payment experience. So we'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoy this episode, definitely drop us a rating or review on your podcast player. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, frankly, anywhere else, we're likely there. And be sure to subscribe. You will get more compelling interviews like this one every week. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again to Adam so much for joining me for today's episode and to all of you for joining us. If you're interested in learning more about the Buy Now, Pay Later space, be sure to join us at the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo, taking place May 10th through 12th at McCormick Place in Chicago. We actually have a track dedicated to this incredible market, the Buy Now, Pay Later Summit. We'll dig into market trends, retail implementations, and new opportunities for customer acquisition and retention. Go to the show notes to get more information and to register. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.